episode 10 of Strange Brow Radio. Here I am again, your host, Tobe Johnson, with a bonus episode. And we're doing it, breaking away from the single digits. It's a milestone. <laughs> so, that's exciting, really. It is exciting. And the bonus episode we have today is going to be, it's going to be hot. Paris Hilton always say it's going to be hot. It's going to be a hot episode. And... Barb Shoop is going to bring all the heat. She knows all about the paranormal, supernatural link of Sasquatch. She's had quite a few experiences over the years. So we're going to talk to her in detail here shortly. But without our sponsor, there would be no talking to anybody, especially people in Greenwater, Washington. So I want to thank our sponsor, FeralByAaronAtsy.com, E-R-Y-N, Etsy.com. We actually have a commercial coming in here about halfway through the show, our first Feral by Aaron commercial. We'll be right back with our guest, Don't You Move a Muscle. Greenwater, Washington, north of Mount Rainier, a beautiful little sleepy town, I guess you would call it, with a lot of legends, folklore, and reality. Barb Shoup began to uncover that reality in her early 20s and has been doing it ever since, taking not only reports from her friends and family, but from locals of the community working at the the local store in town. So you're about ready to join a conversation already in progress from that perspective. Barb Shoop, squatching with Barb and Gabby on YouTube, really digs in deep to not only the phenomena itself of Bigfoot, but the paranormal, supernatural weirdness of it all. And there's no better example than her cloaker video. And we'll talk more about what that is. So, as I said, from her days in Greenwater in her early 20s, a conversation already in progress, Barb Shoop. I moved to Greenwater when I was about oh, 28, I think, and uh, there's a trail up here behind my cabin, and the very first time I walked up the trail, I found a couple of broken trees and a perfect footprint. But, you know, back then, I didn't really know anything about them and you know other than that one footprint if I hadn't had a a visual I wouldn't have known to look for things like structures or what what the different vocals would sound like um it it got my interest but I was thinking you know it was just one lone individual that was just passing through to another place and being such a small community you know everybody knows everybody and everybody knows what's going on and, and nobody ever talked about Bigfoot so I just kind of assumed that since it wasn't something that anybody ever talked about, that it, they just weren't here. So, you know, in, in the years after that, you know, there were a lot of experiences that I had, you know, things I'd find in the woods, things that I hear. And, and I can remember a few times even thinking, you know, gee, I wonder if that's something a Bigfoot might do. And then I'd automatically just think, no, nah, we don't have any of those around here that, uh, you know, if, if we had them here, I'd know about it. But, uh, you know, now looking back at it, I I still have light bulb moments remembering things that happened that, oh, oh, now I get it. <laughs> That's what that was. Right. And as far as the area itself, is it 
teeming with reports throughout the generations dating back to the Native Americans and before? It is. It really is. Um, you know, after I realized what was going on here, I started asking the locals when they'd come into the store, and I was shocked at how many people actually had had an experience that they just didn't talk about. And even the people that didn't think they'd had an experience, you know, it opened up conversation. And once you start talking to them about it, they go, oh, you mean they throw stuff? Well, we had somebody throwing stuff at us. We thought it was just kids messing around or, you know, we, we just assumed that it was this or assumed it was that or because, you know, if, if Bigfoot isn't something that's in, in the front of your mind as a possibility, it's not going to be something you go to as an explanation for something. And right. if you don't have an explanation for something, well, then it just kind of gets lost. You know, it doesn't yeah. attach to anything and you forget about it. Right. And, you know, I have even found that with my own self. I'm sure maybe you've been through this before where you're pushing back the idea that it really happened and always trying to rationalize it because you don't want it to be something that uh, is misunderstood. You want to understand what's going on. So it's, it's just easier to find a rational explanation. But what you're saying is that Bigfoot is rational. It is. It is. <laughs> Once you know they're real, they're as rational as anything else. It's, it's only unrational to the people who've never had an experience. You know, to people who are just, they want to think it's real, they want to believe, but they don't really know. Once you really know, once you've had that experience, it's as real as anything else that's out there. But there's characteristics, and we'll get into some of that. I guess we could just get into it now. The, these other characteristics of them, the non-flesh and blood characteristics, you would agree that those are just as prevalent as the physical ones? Oh, definitely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, the first good sighting that I had up here on the hill, it was Gabby and I were just out for a walk one afternoon. And uh, we saw the herd of elk run by. And right behind it, it, my first thought was gorilla, but we don't have gorillas here. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's Bigfoot. And he just walked right on by right after the elk. The elk were running, he was walking. And, um, you know, it was partly hidden behind uh, the last leaves of uh, a vine maple tree. And there weren't a lot of leaves there, but just enough to hide most of the body. I could clearly see it from like the shoulders up, the face, the head, everything. And as I walked it, watched it walk, it only needed to take one more step and it would come out from behind those leaves and I would have a full body view of it. But when it came, it took that step and it just like step behind a, an invisible curtain it just disappeared and you know I stood there and stared at that spot for 10 minutes trying to figure out where it went and at that point in time I'd never even heard of things like cloaking I didn't know that was an option you know and when I finally <laughs> took my eyes off that spot and looked at Gabby she's looking at the same place I am so I know she saw it too you know I and for me you know it was like oh my gosh I saw Bigfoot but how do you tell people you saw Bigfoot which in itself taking quite a leap to tell people but then to tell people that you saw Bigfoot and it vanished into thin air well that just didn't fly so you know I went back up to that spot for every day for weeks and looked at it from every angle from every direction trying to figure out what happened and finally I rationalized it into well it must have just dropped flat to the ground faster than my eyes could perceive and, and crawled away behind a rise of ground which you know thinking about it rationally really doesn't make much sense because it's really 
really difficult to figure out how, you know, something that's 800 plus pounds can drop away so fast you can't perceive it when it's, you know, 10 feet tall. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't like it was a great distance from me. It was only about 100 feet. So, you know, you rationalize these things. And, and even then, I didn't accept that it was cloaking for another um, almost, what, two years until I, I happened to get the cloaker video on camera. And at that point, you know, I started putting the pieces together and, and finally accepted that, okay, you know, this stuff is real. And and it doesn't just stop with the cloaking either, you know. It was, uh, I think, the next summer after that that I went over to the Blue Mountains to Tom Cantrell's research area and spent a week over there. And, you know, he had told me things were going to happen that, you know, I just you know, accepted, okay, well, it will or it won't. And I never, never realized the things that would really happen while I was there, you know, as far as like the, the eye glow that doesn't need any um, external source, you know, that's something that they can turn on and off. And I witnessed it three times on that trip, you know, twice right at the edge of camp, you know, just the eyes, they just turn on and they turn off. The first two times I saw it, they were ping pong ball size. And the last time I saw it, uh, one night the group had gone down to this lower campsite and everybody was sitting in a circle facing out looking for eye glow, right? Well, I realized one of the people that was there with me wasn't in that group at the moment. So I went back up to the guard station to tell her where we were at. And on my way back down, I was walking under the trees and it was pitch black and about 30 feet from me where my tent was under the trees. I looked that direction and about 10, 12 feet off the ground, there's these two tennis ball sized red eyes looking right at me. And, you know, you never know what you're going to do in this situation until it happens. And what do I do? I look at him. I said, hello, I'm going to go down here and sit with everybody and look for eye shine. And I just kept walking. So, <laughs> But, you know, I didn't no. feel threatened, but, you know, it was it was very startling. <laughs> right. So the fear impulse just kicks in and you can't help it. It's a fight or flight situation. And... It is. Uh, oftentimes. You know, I, I think I, I handled it pretty rationally. I didn't yeah. run. But then yeah. I didn't, well, we, you know, I kicked yeah. myself because I didn't actually stop and talk to him or say mm -hmm. something, you know. I just kept walking. Right. But, yes, yeah, so those things are real, you know. I'm Whether you want to believe it or not, you know, one of the things that Arla says is, is you create your own reality. And I think that what you believe you're going to experience is what you're going to experience. If you don't believe these things aren't are possible, then you're probably not ever going to experience it. But if if you think that it's going to happen, if it's a possibility, then it could happen. You know, it it's it's all part of the lessons I think that they're doling out to us. You know, they they open your mind into a certain direction, and if that's the path that you're supposed to go, that's what you're going to experience. And now you, you're a multiple witness and have multiple encounters here. So what it, are you of the mind that you're kind of marked? Um, we've been through this before on this radio show and talked about it for the last 15 years with other people, this idea that once they know you, they all know you. Is that is that what you believe? Yeah, I do believe that, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I think that this is something that they've probably known about me. They've been watching me for all these years when I wasn't aware of them. They've been observing. And um, even going so far back as to, I wonder, 
about um, my mom used to tell me a story about when she was pregnant with me. There's a place up here uh, called Skookum Flats. And she had been up there with my grandfather picking huckleberries and uh, or not huckleberries, picking mushrooms. And uh, my grandfather looked at her and said, so when's that kid due? And mom said two weeks ago and dad or grandpa said, get back in the car. Well, you know, that's the same area that we go to where we have our campouts and where we have all our experiences up here. And it makes me wonder, was it at that point that they became aware of me? Was was there some kind of connection that was made then before I was even born? You know, this because it's something that's been with me my whole life, this need to be in the mountains and, and in the forest. And, you know, maybe it's just something that they were waiting for me to live through enough life experiences that I was ready to deal with this. Now, is it your thought that maybe just maybe your dad was an experiencer prior to that visit? You know, I really wish that my grandparents were still around so that I could ask them about it because it's not something that, you know, I ever really had the chance to discuss. They both passed away when I was still pretty young. And, you know, my mom didn't really want to talk about it much. And, uh, yeah, it, it's... It's something that I really wish that I'd asked questions about before, but you know, now it's too late and uh, I don't really know. Right. What do the locals call Bigfoot Sasquatch out that way? Is there another verbiage that they use? Um, well, you know, most people just call them Bigfoot, mm -hmm. Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten used to calling them the forest people. Now that I've, you know, had all these experiences and learned so much, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure that they're just another form of people, you know, they're humans, not, not quite like us, but definitely humans. So to me, they're the forest people. And what about individual names? Do you have individuals that you've named? Um, you know, for a long time, there was one that I thought of as uh, Mama, Mama Bigfoot. And uh, one day I was out walking the trail and I was just talking to him because, you know, whether you know they're there or not listening, I, you just kind of talk to the woods and say hello. And and uh, I was getting a little frustrated. It had been a, a stretch since anything had been going on. And, and I just said out loud, you know, it sure would be nice if I just had a name, you know, just tell me a name. Well, uh, and this is a story that I haven't really told before. It's kind of new. So most people may have not heard this yet. But uh, I was coming back down the trail, and I, I said that out loud, that I just wanted a name. Well, the next morning, I woke up, and I just, this very intense dream that I had. And as I woke up, I had this sense of something rushing out the window, which is right here beside my bed. And in my mind, I was a little confused. I woke up thinking, me? What do you mean, me? In my mind, I had, it was like this white screen with this big green block letters, K-O-W-M-E. And in, and I was trying to figure out me, what, what is me? What is, are you talking about me? What is me about? And I was confused. Well, you know, I got up and I went about my day and I kind of forgot about it and I did what I needed to do. And later on that afternoon, I started up the trail for a hike and I wasn't a hundred feet up the trail and it was, it felt like something just slapped me alongside the head. And all of a sudden it was like, Comey. Oh, it's the name. I was given the name. They told me, Comey is the name, and, and I, it because I had heard it pronounced in my dream, but I didn't make the connection as what it was about, 
And I think that they showed it to me visually in my mind just so that I would get the the pronunciation right and, and remember it right. And uh, that's one thing that Arla tells me is that they don't really care what you call them unless you are given their real name. And that's something that you need to pronounce properly. So I, yeah, Comey, I think that is, that's Mama Sasquatch, the one that I've always thought of as Mama. And so are you able to get Comey to come around by using telepathy or using the name Comey out in the woods? Um, no, you know, I, I don't really use it when I go out there. Um, I just kind of talk to them in general, you know, I, I, you know, tell them, I hope they're having a nice day. Um, a couple of years ago, it was mother's day and I had gone up for a little walk before I went down to see my mom. And, uh, I was on my way back out of the woods and I, you know, I was, I was saying, you know, just in our world, this is what we call mother's day. And it's a day to appreciate our mothers. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you too. And this most amazing floral scent just washed over my face. It was just like this, just this warm scent. Mm. And, you know, there were the forget me nots were blooming then, but they didn't have any scent. And, you know, I turned around and walked back and forth and I couldn't get that whiff, a whiff of it again. It was just there and gone. But uh, I kind of took that as, uh, as Comey's way of acknowledging the happy Mother's Day wishes to her. So, but other than that, I can't really say who or what hears me or communicates it's just uh one or all of them i guess we're here today as i said with barb shoop of barb and gabby squatching with barb and gabby on youtube and before we go into our break here barb i want to pose a question to you regarding photographs and why there are no really good numerous videos and photographs of the phenomena of the supernatural of them. So hold on to that question here. Think about it. We're going to go into a commercial break here. We'll be right back. I want to thank our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, yet again. Now, I've mentioned time time again on the show that Feral by Aaron is our one sponsor, but with a sponsor like this, you don't need any more because the fact is that these spirit tools actually work. And what do they work with? Well, they work with the elements of the earth, and they're housed and built by an artisan out of the Olympic Peninsula, Aaron Jackson. Check out Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N at Etsy.com. Drums, rattles, smudge sticks, and coming soon, alchemy boxes. These are one of a kind, each one one of a kind. We're not talking about a factory here. And as two people told me, her instruments sing, in particular the drums. So check out Feral by Aaron. Give a like, review, subscribe, share, go on the Instagram, and give a little love. May give it right back to you. Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. All right, we're back with Barb Shoop who also is a proud owner of a Feral by Aaron spirit drum. Is that right, Barb? That is correct. Okay. Well, it's a fresh delivery, and I wasn't on site to see the process take place, but I did see a lot of the, the building of it from the ground floor up. 
So describe everybody what kind of treasure, what kind of spirit tool you got, and maybe some experiences you've had since you've had it. Well, you know, I saw uh, a, something that uh, Aaron had made online, and I went and checked out her site, and, you know, I was just really taken by her work. Um, I've been wanting my own drum for quite some time, but, you know, I had yet to come across one that really spoke to me. And when I saw what she was making, I, I knew I'd found the right person to make my drum. So uh, I told her what I was looking for. And, you know, she gave me the different options and she explained to me the different uh, things that she, the different energy that she can put into her, her, her work and, and the, the, how powerful the spirit energy is that she can, you know, just embed in it. Well, I received my drum yesterday. It's absolutely beautiful. It's exactly what I wanted. Um, I didn't have much time to spend with it yesterday during the day, but last night I got back to the cabin and I sat here on the bed and I started playing it and it was so beautiful. It was, it was like it was singing. It was singing its own song. And I sat here for a while and I just played it and I, I finished and I put it down and I looked over and right outside my window here, right over the creek, there was just a red flash. And I knew at that point that they were here and they were listening. You know, she had told me that it was a summoning drum and that's what I wanted. And, you know, whether I summoned them or whether they came on their own, I don't know, but they were here and I think they liked it. Well, that's awesome to hear. And uh, the testimonials mean a lot. And so there you go, folks. Feral by Aaron, the real deal. You can check out the Etsy shop. And in fact, uh, she'll be a vendor along with me at the International Primal People Convention coming up the April 26th through the 28th. But we'll talk more about that towards the end of the show. Now, let me get you back to the question I posed before the break here. Photographs. Why can't we get a good photograph? Um, you know, I think that they're capable of being here and capable of not being here. You know, whether it's a different dimension or they're, they're moving in time, whether they're just becoming invisible. I think that when you have an experience, you experience what they want you to see, what they want you to hear, what you, they want you to feel. And I think that when you do have an experience, it's deliberate. And if they want you to get them on film, they will. That's what you'll get. If they don't, well, then that's, that's, you're not, it's not going to happen. You know, I think that there are people that, that get pictures that are, are a little blurry. Maybe that's because they didn't want to be seen. You know, they're there. You sense something's there. But that's all you're going to get is something that's blurry, something that's never going to be definitive. It's never going to be proof of anything. You know, I got the cloaker on video, and I think that's something that was intentional. That was something that was meant to happen. I think when uh, uh, Roger and Bob got Patty on camera, that was intentional. That was something that was meant to happen. You know, um, when you have an experience, whether you're holding a camera or not, you're only going to see and you're only going to record what they want you to have. And I think that when I'm out in the woods, and I'll literally tell them, you know, I'll say, okay, hey, I'm going to record now. If there's something that you want me to share, go ahead and do it now. Because I've only got this much battery and, you know, or I'm going to turn it off at this point. If you don't want to be on camera, you don't want me to share anything this week, just wait until I turn it off. And that's fine. I'm more than happy to have the experience and tell about it later. You know, it, 
you got to be respectful of their home and of their lives and, and their existence and, and the things that they're trying to teach us, the lessons that they have to, to pass on to us, you know? So having a camera on you is, I don't think nearly as offensive to them as just putting out say trail cams or recorders and things. We've tried that and it didn't work out very well, but you know, when you carry something on you, I think that makes a difference. But, uh, yeah, as far as, as far as what you're going to get it, it's what they're going to give you. Well, a couple of times you've alluded to a video that I've seen. Maybe some of you haven't seen. Barb, you're talking about the cloaking Bigfoot. And if you go to her YouTube channel, you can definitely find it there. And what we're talking about is a, a daylight sighting with you with a camera in your hand and a couple of people around you and you swing around yep. into the woods and you hear something and then later you notice something or did you tell people exactly what happened during that day? Well, it was our second camp out that we had had and it was the first day um, we had brought, I think there were nine of us that day came up and we were just gonna go for a walk up the trail and I was gonna show everybody some structures and broken trees and just interesting things in the woods. Um, we weren't very far from the cabin. Um, we kind of split up a few of the people that had already been off into this stretch of woods, went up the trail a little ways. There's a, some logs there where we like to sit and, and uh, they sat there. Uh, the rest of us cut off into the woods and uh, my friend Sandy, she went with us but then continued farther back into the woods because she had a gifting area back there she wanted to go check. So that put it down to I think there were maybe four or five of us that were actually looking at this one broken tree. Well, when my camera was attached to my walking stick and it was on and recording, but I wasn't really paying any attention to it. It was just a, in case we hear something or see something type of thing. So I'm standing there pointing out this broken tree and about 70 feet in front of me, I see this small, not tiny, small, maybe, uh, you know, small female human sized person, maybe about five feet tall, just kind of pops up. It's covered in black hair. It has no neck. It's just kind of this triangular shape. It just pops up and it takes off running to the left. And of course, part of the, the tree that was in front of me blocked me the view. And then kind of Sam kind of stepped over when I'm going, hey, what was that? And I could see it as it came out to the other side of the tree. And I mean, it was all arms and legs and just mowing over little trees and bushes. And then it just was gone. Well, you know, I knew that the camera was on and aimed in that direction. So I kind of had hopes that I had caught that on camera. Well, we went ahead and, and uh, finished our walk for the day. Um, one of the interesting things that happened after that was the people that had gone up the trail and sat on the log, which was maybe a hundred feet from us, um, had heard the commotion. And my dad's wife was sitting there looking in that direction because her little dog was in her lap, looked in that direction, didn't see anything and looked back. And when she looked back right across the trail from her, she saw what she described as a, a little uh, black monkey, a little baby came head first down a tree and, and disappeared into the brush on the, across the trail from her. So that was that was a second sighting that happened at that time. So then Sandy comes back. She doesn't know about any of this. We had already prearranged that we would meet her up farther up the mountain. So she's coming back out and she can hear this woman's voice up on the hill and it sounded like calling her kids. 
So here she's thinking that that's me up on the hill calling the campers and talking to them like they're children. And she's thinking, well, geez, Barb, why are you talking to the campers like they're kids? Well, it wasn't me. So we're thinking that would have been Mama Bigfoot. So we got back to camp that night and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the little screen on my iPod and uh, <laughs> all I can see is this little blur and it's like, what the heck is that? So I go and I put it on a little bigger computer screen and at that point I can see what it is and I'm thinking, well, now this isn't possible. This is like Predator. This is this is like Hollywood stuff. And my, my little iPod cannot do Hollywood stuff. So then we put it on a bigger computer. And we're kind of sitting around going, oh, my gosh, what the heck? Well, then my dad had his motorhome there that had the big screen TV in it. So we put it on that. And at that point, I'm just, it's like, okay, at that point, I, I started crying. I was so shocked and stunned and just floored, you know, because up until that point, everything we had done had been, you know, there had been no woo. You know, I, I had heard about it. You know, it was a peripheral thing, but it wasn't something I was into. And I was just so shocked that this was something that I had got on camera. Well, then we went back the next day and uh, examined the area. We found two sets of nine inch tracks, one from the individual that I saw that popped up and ran. And uh, nine inch tracks would be about right for the size of the individual, which would have been five to five and a half feet tall. Also, when Thinker Thunker did an analysis of it, he found in the background of the footage, there's some trees that bend right as this happens, or, or maybe a second before. We found a second set of nine inch tracks that went straight back from uh, what I saw, and it goes right through those trees, and the deepest footprint we found was right in the middle of those trees. It was almost four inches deep. And, you know, it had pushed off the trees in that spot. And that's what when it really went down. And then it went back and around uh, just an old pile of old logging debris. And I think we measured, gosh, what was it? Like 50, 54 inches was the average stride in that. So, I mean, he was moving fast for something that small to make a step the distance, that, that distance. He was moving fast. And we found the trackway from the ones that the one I had seen had gone up over another uh, bit of old logging debris and had jumped down into kind of a hole um, between some old rotten logs and that's where he had when he had disappeared was when he had jumped down into that hole so that gave us what I believe were possibly two twins that were um, the, about five to five and a half feet tall plus the baby plus mama who was up on the hill. So that was four individuals that we know were there that day. So then another interesting part of this was about two weeks later, um, coming down the hill to the cabin one night, I saw something on the corner um, as I come around the bend of the road, just down from the cabin here, I saw something. Well, it got my attention. So I pulled in, I, I came in the house, I got the thermal camera and I, I just walked out to the road and looked back down toward the corner. And I saw what, you know, looked like a, a triangular shape just kind of moving down in the darkness off the off the corner. Well, then it another triangular shape kind of comes out. And then all of a sudden, I see this tiny little triangular shape come out and walks right between them. And then it, it clicked. Oh, my gosh, it's those two twins and the baby again. So at that point, I started recording but the, the baby had already moved off. I didn't get it. But I did capture the two triangular shaped individuals. I think they were squatted down. 
and at one point one of them kind of moves off a little ways and you can see one arm reach up and then back down and I watched him for uh, several minutes and then I turned I heard something in the woods beside me and I turned and I looked and I looked back they were still there and then my arm got tired I, I kind of switched to switch hands and in the time that it took me just to switch hands on the camera they were gone so uh, that to me was the validation that it was the two twins with a baby that were there. Right. Oh. Let's, I'm looking at the video right now as I'm talking to you and going over the movement from it moving from center right sc screen to the left side here. And what people need to imagine is basically almost like water and wind as far as fluidity this movement of pixelation within the brush that seems to kind of have a very crisp border um, moves without effort and extreme speed yeah. just just like you would see in the predator it's not a it's not yeah. an elaborate stretch to use that word in fact it makes me wonder whether or not hollywood didn't know about this phenomena well before everyone started to experience it because where would they get this idea that uh, you could even bend light like that if that's if that's what we're seeing at all but it seems to be like refracting light around shoulders and a head yeah mm -hmm. and a hand and and mm -hmm. yeah the whole body is there at first before it drops and you can see there's like a horizontal horizontal log right behind it Mm -hmm. That's when I saw it. I didn't see it when it dropped down in front of that. When I saw it was when it came up behind that log mm -hmm. and is when it popped up and then it took off running. At that point, it was clearly uh, fully physical, fully solid, you know, flesh and blood um, and running. But, but what the camera saw, I didn't see it at all. And I think the angle of the camera being on the walking stick was about a foot lower than the the angle from my eyes where i was viewing from and i think just that drop in elevation was what allowed it to what i saw pop up wasn't visible to the camera right and there's so, this, uh, this whole theory of there being a castle and moat always as a rule between you and them so that would make perfect sense that it put itself you know in a position where it could escape easier but it also explains the original question on why we can't get get them on camera in general there yeah. seems to be this rule that observing the paranormal is a big no-no it waits for you to leave it waits for it to play a game with you and it's underneath us trying to observe it that somehow we've broken some rule would you agree with that statement yeah um, yeah, I think so. You know, they there's obviously a reason that they don't just come right out and, you know, interact with us and let mm -hmm. us record them. That There's some reason that they have that, that that's just not allowed. Mm -hmm. And on the rare occasions that it does happen, you know, I think that it, it's meant to be. You know, one of the things that um, might not be well known about the video is that just seconds after it happened, there was a glitch in the video. Now, after after it happened, I ended the video that was recording and then started it again. So that glitch was just like a couple of seconds from the end of the clip. Well, when I went to edit, edit it to put it in, into my video, I couldn't get it to go through my movie maker with that glitch. So I had to trim that out. So those last few seconds when, I, when I'm going, 
it went that way and I'm describing what I saw had to be trimmed out because it, it wouldn't work. So there was an actual, something happened to the camera to create a glitch in it. This was, I mean, it wasn't like the camera was bumped or knocked or there was anything wrong with it. It was just a partial screen glitch um, that happened that coincided with this thing. So maybe there was some kind of an electrical impulse. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was something that wanted to make sure that this was all that I captured was just what I did, that there was no more going to be allowed to be seen on camera. You know, I'm not sure exactly what, but, uh, you know, it's like when I put out uh, trail cams, you know, I put out, a, uh, the first one I put out, I think we had one like test picture of Gabby on it. And then after that, it was, it was dead. I went out to check it and I changed batteries and it just never functioned again. So we got a brand new one put that out there. It took like two test samples of the elk going by. And after that, every picture it took was total whiteout. So then we're thinking, okay, well, maybe the sun was shining on it or something. So we took it and put it under a bridge. Nope. Every single picture on it after that was whiteout. So we said, okay, no more trail cameras. Let's just go to recorders. So I had a gifting area. I put a recorder there. And uh, the very first time you hear something walk up, you hear something pick it up and rattle it around. And then it gets shut off. The second time I put it out there, you don't hear something walk up. You just hear it get picked up and shut off. Mm -hmm. And after that, every time you put it out there, it was just shut off. Well, then, you know, okay, obviously this isn't cool with them. We're not going to do this anymore. I stopped putting recorders out. Um, one night, a few months later, I was sitting here in the cabin and I could hear some vocalizations out there and I had to leave. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to go put it in the woods. That's intrusive. I'm just going to put it here in my own yard. So I I took the recorder out, turned it on, put it in an inconspicuous spot where it couldn't be seen from the road or anywhere, and I left. I came back four hours later. I looked there. The, the recorder's gone. Like, gosh, dang it. Okay. I look around. Go get the flashlight because it's dark by that time. And I find it several feet away, covered in dried mud, laying on the ground and turned off. And to me, that's like the final, like, all right, you know, we're just not going to do this anymore. So now the only recording that I do is with the camera that I carry with me. I announce when I'm recording. If something happens, I thank you. I thank them. You know, I always show gratitude. Um, yeah, and I just try to be respectful. And if there's something that they want me to share, if there's an experience that they want me to have on camera, they'll let me have it. Otherwise, it'll just be something that I experience and I'll tell about it later. Right. No, it's a, it's an amazing video and everyone needs to go check it out. I, I first saw it up in Ocean Shores, Washington, probably about four or five years ago. I think you shot it about four years ago or so. And you, you had a yeah, little Yeah, it would have been September of 2014. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was when you kind of got your mind blown, the, the seeing that for yourself, shedding tears. What were the, what were the tears from? Um, just the shock, you know, the, the immensity of it, you know, to, to go from knowing that something that is amazing and wonderful as, as Bigfoot, knowing that they're real and taking that extra leap into, oh my gosh, the paramount, the paranormal element to that is as real as they are, you know, to, to make that mental leap 
from one reality into another. You know, I think that was just a real shock for me because I that was not anywhere I had gone before. No, not even privately. No, not even privately. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of private paranormalists out there and they hold on to that uh, world of flesh and blood, you know, like it's their last gold nugget in their pocket. And um, yeah, it just, it just yeah, see, I can't do that. Yeah. It, it, you know, how do you expect to really fully understand something if half of the information you have is something that you tuck away and don't acknowledge? You know, you, if you really want to have full understanding of something, you got to look at all the pieces equally, don't you? Well, that's the way, uh, you know, uh, a law enforcement would do it. Put all the pieces on the table there and then you just start picking pieces off one by one. But a lot of the police force in this case are corrupt and they uh, <laughs> are hoarding, you know, all of the good stuff and, uh, and not sharing, you know, all the, the vast amounts yeah. of evidence. They kind of hint at it. They, they definitely hint at it. And that's, you know, part of the reason that we do our paranormal talks in a pub is that it greases the wheels of truth. And you can eventually get that little bit of evidence to come in to be, you know, the whole shebang. And I'm glad we don't have to put a pint of Foster's in front of you to get the whole truth. You're just willing to <laughs> come on here. And nope, I'm going to tell it the way it is. <laughs> now you're a woman out in the field. Of course, you never seem to go out alone, but you did have your beautiful dog, Gabby, and Gabby recently passed away. Is that right? Yes, she did. Yeah. Yes. And you even put up a YouTube uh, celebration, a, a life, which I thought was just a wonderful little uh, homage to your beautiful dog. Now, are you going back out in the field with another dog or do you have a new breed? Well, I have, uh, you know, our other dog, Jack, he's still with us. Uh -huh. um, I don't know that he's ever going to be a good Bigfoot and dog. He's, he's a little nervous about things. Uh -huh. um, you know, when, when Gabby, Gabby was there with me when, when I had my sightings and my experiences and she experienced what I did. I, I knew what Gabby knew. And, you know, I suspect that Jack has had experiences when I wasn't with him things that he doesn't understand that, that make him nervous. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he'll spend a lot of time just staring out at the woods and sometimes things happen in the house that, you know, he, for no reason, he'll just kind of go and sit in the kitchen and just kind of cower there, you know, especially in the summertime when the windows are open. It's like, I don't think he's quite as comfortable with it as Gabby was. So, uh, you know, I think here maybe soon when I find the right puppy, we'll, uh, we'll find a new dog to be with me in the woods, you know, and it, it'll, no dog is ever going to replace Gabby, but, uh, mm -hmm. we'll yeah. find a new partner. Did you ever hear Barb, uh, Gabby's name called out in the woods? Um, what I'm alluding, you know, to, I don't think I did. They can call out for animals in particular, even humans. And the mimicry is pretty spot on for generally the owner of the dog. So I'm kind of surprised to hear that that wasn't ever done. You know, I did hear Gabby's name once after mm -hmm. she had passed, um, but not while she was still with us. Um, mm -hmm. There was a lot of times we'd go out and I'd turn around and she'd have a brand new ball in her mouth. 
<laughs> I never knew where she got those. Yeah. Isn't that something? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, the younger ones had made friends with her. You know, I, I don't know that she was all that comfortable with the bigger ones, but I, I think, you know, a lot of times she was, was playing with the younger ones. You know how dogs can get the zoomies sometimes where they just run with joy. Yeah. She would do that, you know, especially when she was younger, she'd just get out there and just start running and bouncing in circles. And one of the things she'd always do is she'd stop and then she'd look around at the woods. Like, are you there? Are you watching? Do you see this? Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of time when she felt like that, she was just kind of playing up to the Sasquatches that may be there. So but there, there were other times that she saw things in the woods that I didn't see when she would actually get behind my legs. And it's like, okay, you go first, mom. I'll right. stay right here behind you. And, you know, the after we saw the big one chasing the elk that day, oh, maybe chasing isn't the right word. Maybe I should say following the elk. You know, before that, when we'd go out and we'd find a place to sit in the woods, she'd always either sit on my feet or lean against my legs and after that day, she started sitting and leaning against my back. So it was like, <laughs> okay, you keep an eye on things that way, and I'll keep an eye on things this way, because you just don't know when and where they're going to pop up. So, oh, yeah, you guys are like a couple of Navy SEALs on watch, just uh, waiting for <laughs> the, next, the next round. Um, yeah. I want to find out your perspective on not only the lights in the woods, but also the connective tissue of the lights and where extraterrestrial fit into this whole thing. Maybe we're looking at an extraterrestrial phenomena when we're thinking of Sasquatch. Where do you stand with all this and what's your experience with UFOs, lights, things that don't uh, generally belong in the sky? Um, You know, I've seen some really crazy stuff. I've seen some really weird lights. You know, I know that the Sasquatches themselves are capable of emitting light from their eyes. It's not a reflection like normal eye shine. Um, a couple of years ago, we were back over in the Blue Mountains, and uh, the the group, six people in the group, had gone out to see the sunset from this one particular vantage point. And just as the sun set, they turned around, and there was a Sasquatch walking across the, the hill behind them. So not only did all six people get to see the Sasquatch, but just in case they didn't see, he turned around and walked back again. Well, later on that night, I think there were four of us sitting around the the campfire and it was, you know, oddly quiet that night. Most nights, you know, you can sit there and you can listen to them. You can hear things moving around. Not that night. It was very quiet and we were deep in conversation. And then all of a sudden there's a stick break. And uh, well, that got our attention. And then right behind me, there's another stick break. Well, that made everybody turn around and look. Well, we turned around and looked just in time to see this big white orb just kind of moving across the sky through the tops of the trees. And it got into this one little cluster of trees and it just stopped there for a while, you know, long enough, probably 30 seconds to a minute. We could still see it was there, you know, because I mean, it's a light. And, you know, we're looking at it going, well, what's it going to do now? And then all of a sudden it just kind of comes out the other side of the trees and then just shoots off and is gone up the hill. Well, being night, you know, and you see a light in the sky, your perspective isn't all that clear now. Is this something that was up close that was right here in the trees or is this something that was up in the sky farther in the distance? You know, and it wasn't until the next day that we looked at where it was 
and where those trees were and thought about it that we decided, okay, this was most likely an orb that was closer rather than something farther off. And, um, you know, it was the same thing as that Sasquatch that walked across the hill and then made sure that everybody saw it by walking back again. It was, that's how this orb was. It, it's, it, well, first of all, we wouldn't have known it was there if not for the stick breaks that got our attention, interrupted the conversation, made us turn around and look. And then we saw it and then it, it's like sat there in the tree long enough for everybody to think about it for a while. And as long as, and once everybody's paying attention and, and, you know, absorbing that this is happening, then it comes out and just shoots off. Now, was that an alien? I can't say that it was or wasn't. How was that associated with the Sasquatches? You know, the only thing I can go on there is from what I've been told by other people, you know, like Tom or Arla, that, okay, that they are capable of taking that energy form as a way of travel. Other than that, you know, I can't say what it was other than it was, that it happened. And it's, and it's always associated with these things that happen in the same places as the Sasquatch stuff. So what the connection is, I don't really know. You know, we, we have a lot of these things happen. You know, the, the different flashing colored lights, um, big bursts of light, um, almost like domes of light that rise up from the ground and, and collapse back in. Sometimes they're white, sometimes they're blue. They're generally always silent. Mm -hmm. um, we've had campers that have experienced uh, flashes of light and then uh, um, sound different sounds that are so that, that are associated only because of the timing you know that it happens you know within seconds um, was it last year we have uh, one lady that comes from Scotland to join our campouts and she's always been very terrified you know if she has to go to the potty tent at night you walk with her if she's you know she she never goes anywhere by herself because she's she's frightened and uh her and a, another camp out member stayed up late by the fire uh one night they saw a big burst of light um just maybe 200 feet away and within a few seconds they heard a, a strange mechanical sound directly over them and when that sound happened something happened to her and all of her fear went away she was no longer afraid and she's still not afraid at that point she became the one that offered to walk other people to the potty tent you know um there's lights that are associated with being in your tent at night you see the white light on the outside of your tent and it's not like it's a flashlight beam it it's it can be like sparkles that come through the tent and they're inside. You're looking at, at all these little sparkles and that happens. And then you hear the footprints when, when there was uh, Kevin and Sandy had their experience with click last year. Um, that was preceded by these little sparkles in the tent. And, and Sam, who was just a short distance away was having the white light that came down from the sky onto the tent. Um, what was it a, a month later we were back in the same area and I had the sparkles in my tent and had that that white light that came down on me you know so are these something that accompanied the Sasquatch are they part of the Sasquatch is it something that is emitted by them I can't say you know I, I can only say what happened and then speculate from there I, I don't really know yeah it's like a cocktail party 
you know, you have invited guests and uninvited guests, but they, uh, they seem to kind of all dance in the same hall, the same dance hall. So there's, yeah. a, there seems to be that uh, weird connective tissue of, of all these things, which leads me to ask you, has anything followed you back to your own home? Well, that's another difficult one to say because, you know, I have experiences at home anyway. So to say whether or not they followed me from somewhere else or they were here to begin with, Mm -hmm. maybe it's the things that were here that followed me to those places. You know, uh, once again, all I can do is speculate. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to figure whatever this veil is that separates our world from their world. Sasquatch can't be the only thing that's there. You know, I mean, look at the diversity of life on our side. Doesn't it make sense that there would be just as much diversity on the other side in any other dimension or or space or time that's just on the other side of that veil? And that veil is so thin sometimes that, you know, whether it's little people or Sasquatch or aliens or ghosts, you know, who's to say what all can cross over at will or or is just caught by chance, you know? What all is over there? Right. Well, and, you know, a lot of the Native Americans would talk about, uh, you know, an altered state and a spiritual site in order to experience the spirit world through these veils. But it seems to happen, of course, without an altered state. But maybe maybe these altered states happen because of adrenal dumps or fear or excitement or joy or love it seems like and i don't know if you'd agree with this but um when you're out with somebody that you really connect with and you have a a good time with if you have a really almost sister brother relationship with this person i found that those are like you know tuning forks for excitement you find that frequency with an individual and it could just be one person, it could be a couple, but generally it seems like one other person and that's who you have your experiences with. Have you found that? Well, you know, I've had plenty of experiences when it was just me and Gabby. And, you know, when Sandy and I would go out together, you know, that would just be two of us and we'd have amazing experiences. But then, you know, when our group gets together, the way I see it is, you know, we all have, this our own energy and our own path and our own experiences and many of our camp out members have their own experiences and their own things that they bring to the group but when we come together we're all like-minded and we're all you know like a big family and i think that we 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 have this collective energy that invites the forest people and and these lights and this energy, it, it, it just comes to us. And I think that's why we're so successful as a group at having all these experiences is, is because we, we create that energy when we come together. You know, it's just the collectiveness of it. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I think that it's a lot of it has to do with uh, your emotional state, you know, because there's been times when the energy in camp wasn't that great. And, you know, it, it really makes a difference, you know, when when everything is going and, and, it, and it's flowing smooth and everybody's happy, that's when we have the great experiences, you know, when, 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 when there's a, a wrench gets thrown into it, mm-hmm. when things get messed up, when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that's when things kind of drop off and it doesn't happen right. 
you know? Yeah. So I think I think it's about the collective energy with a group. Would you say, Barb, that this has made you a better person? This hobby of yours, the, these experiences, has it increased your your happiness? Oh yeah, you know, I I feel like I feel like this is the path that I've always been on. It just it took me a lot of years to reach the point where I was ready for it, you know, to to expand my universe, to, you know, become greater than, than what I was by myself. You know, this is, I've always, you know, even when I was making my videos, I never thought it was, it was about me. It was about what was going on out there. You know, it's just, I'm just kind of like the conduit here. You know, I, I take what's given and I spread it and I share it, you know, cause I figure, you know, even if, even if 99% of the people who ever watch my videos just think it's bunk and they laugh and they go, ah, it's nothing. If it even if it just reaches that one percent that needs validation, that needs inspiration, you know, just to get out in the woods and have their own experience, then then job well done. I'm happy with it. Right. And if you watch your videos, you're rarely even in the videos. You're always behind the camera instead of front of it. Right. Well, because it's not about me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gabby was the face. I was the voice. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, if if uh, you could only get inside Gabby's spirit and mind right now to see what she saw, because I'm sure she uh, she saw quite a bit. I mean, dogs generally are much more clued in to everything. And, you know, so much of what goes on out in the forest, it almost takes a, you know, a giant log hit me straight up against the head to really even acknowledge what's going on. You know, I'm not tuned in like all these other people seem to be it uh, it takes a fair amount to to get me there but um that leads me to ask you you know the other day i made some dousing rods which i'd never made before but i thought it'd be an interesting thing to do on a piece of curious land have you ever used dousing rods out in the field um you know i have some that i had gotten years ago um i had a friend that uh we used to go ghost hunting up at the local tavern, you know, this was before I realized the Bigfoots were here and um, I had gotten some dowsing rods for that. And then uh, my friend passed away and I put the dowsing rods away and I never did get them back out again. I should probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used them actually just the other night and the areas of interest, including where the glyphs are left, where a lot of the activity happened last year, parts of in, inside structures where we find interesting things happen. Uh, the dowsing rods would respond to that. And um, it was pretty interesting to watch them do their thing when they, they cross between one another. But, um, you know, I'd heard from Ken Walker, who's an experiencer and I think he's a three-time world champion taxidermist out of Canada. Um, he's in a documentary called Big Fur, if anybody wants to go check that out about him building a taxidermied Sasquatch out of styrofoam and uh, uh, fur. Anyway, he uh, he was saying that the dowsing rods are basically set, setting in your, your attention. So whatever your intentions are, your mental focus is you know changing its vibration through that copper wire. And secretly, you know, law enforcement use dowsing sticks to find all sorts of things, like including bodies. So I don't know if anybody's listening and wants to go out in the field and use dowsing rods to 
see if they can amp up their experience or uh you know i guess if the dowsing rods split apart and go to your shoulder blades it's probably time to back up i don't know if yeah, uh, probably if that's what they're trying to tell they probably just knock it out of your hands or uh you know laugh uh, most likely they would just yeah. play a trick on you <laughs> yeah pranksters well you know my husband's an electrician and he tells me that they have actually had uh guys with dowsing rods come out onto job sites to help them find things underground before and it works for them. And, you know, they're not even, uh, they're just trying to get a job done. <laughs> so what does your husband think of what you're doing? Um, he tolerates it. You know, he, he really doesn't right. have any interest of his own. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, he tolerates it pretty well. Okay. Have you ever taken it's, him out? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, if he won't even go for a walk in the woods with me unless I promise there'll be no bigfooting. Oh, gotcha. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to turn that on and off. I don't <laughs> think he realizes exactly what I do, but <laughs> Yeah. Do you feel like maybe he's had his own experiences privately? Well, you know, I've I know he's heard things. He's heard the, mm. you know, like the Ohio howl type screams and he's seen how the dogs react to things that aren't there. You know, and I think he's just one of those people that if he was forced to face the reality of some of this stuff, something inside him would break and he, it's just not meant for him. You know, he's, he's become a lot more tolerant and accepting of this. You know, he's met so many people that have had experiences that I, I think that he, he, he does believe that there's something to it, that, that this is real, but he just really doesn't want any part of it. So. Right. Right. Well, what yeah. about your experiences as a woman out in the field looking into this? Do you think that's that's helped quite a bit? I mean, uh, Diane Fossey and, um, you know, other biologists and uh, people, you know, of the opposite sex women in general seem to be more in tuned. And in fact, they even have a saying about women's intuition. How do you think that's played a part? Well, you know, I think women are, are more observant of details, you know, we're less threatening, we're less intimidating, and just more open to um, these experiences, you know, men can be a little headstrong and, and ego driven. And, you know, sometimes if they have an experience, they don't want to acknowledge it, whereas I think women are, are it's it's easier for them. And, um you know, as a woman, when I am relating to other women, my experiences and the feedback that I get is that they were inspired to go out into the woods, that they put their fears aside and they went out and had their own experiences. Those are the most satisfying things to hear, you know, is is when it, when I hear it from other women who saw that I was out there and did this. And they, they feel they're inspired to go out and do it now, too. And I think, you know, just just being smaller and more open-minded and more observant makes a big difference. You know, if you go out there with a gun and a big ego and, um, you know, you're gruff and you're rough and you don't think about the little details and, and you're not as aware of the, the, the emotional nuances of it, I think those are things that would hinder a man. 
Right. I, I tend to agree with you. We're, we're here today with Barb Shoup of Squatchin' with Barb and Gabby. You can check them out on YouTube. Before I let you go, Barb, uh, let's talk about the conference coming up. It's the third international conference of primal people. It's the International Society of Primal People. And it's coming up on April 26th through the 28th in Enumclaw, Washington. I'm looking over the speaker roster here, which is immense. Um, I found 15 speakers that are on the roster and two potential ones. It's going to be a huge convention. Yeah, well, you know, on Friday night, it's going to be the Barb and Gabby group up on stage. We're going to be talking about our experiences and invite the audience to participate in a town hall meeting. Uh, there will also be a space set aside downstairs. So if you have an experience that you want to share and you want documented, but you don't want to do it in front of an audience, there'll be a private place to go to do that. On Saturday, it's speakers all day long. It's going to be hosted by Tom Cantrell and um, emceed by Connie Willis of uh, Blue Talk Rock. There'll be Scott Taylor, the BFRO, Keith Bearden from uh, Georgia, Arla Williams will be here from Oklahoma. Ron Moorhead will be talking about the Sierra Sounds. We'll have Brian Bland down from uh, British Columbia. Uh, Mitchell Townsend, he'll be discussing Bones and Stones. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, well, you've got a lot. Oh, uh, I forget who else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, well, Gib on Kyle, Sunday, Kyle Gibson, Sandy well, Nelson, uh, a lot of names. Well, see, they're going to be on Sunday. Okay. On Sunday, we'll be bringing the conference up to Greenwater. We'll, we'll be at the Greenwater Community Center for boots on the ground activities. So there'll be uh, hour long uh, seminars on uh, different things from photography, uh, boot camp, um, uh, collection of evidence. Uh, if you wanna go for a hike in the woods with me, that'll be an option. So that'll be, I believe from nine in the morning until one in the afternoon, it'll be uh, Jamie Trimble. Uh, she'll be doing the boot camp. Kyle Gibson, he'll be talking about uh, how to connect and get closer to Bigfoot. Uh, Joe Hauser is going to be there. You know, he's from the Montana Vortex with amazing things to share. Uh, Samantha Ellen Ritchie, she'll be doing photography. It'll be uh, Sandy Nelson. She'll be doing the uh, collection, evidence collection. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. So it's a big three-day deal. You can go to the ghostofrubyridge.com to look at tickets and all the classes that we just mentioned. And it's going to be at a convention center not too far from your house. Its address is 1456 Roosevelt Avenue in Enumclaw, Washington. But just go on to the ghostofrubyridge.com. You can take a look at this beautiful, uh, it's almost like an old style log cabin look outside, but it must be pretty large from the picture I can see of Tom Cantrell in the, on the floor there. So can you seat a couple hundred in this venue? Um, I think the, the plan is, I think we'll have seating for 300, but we could pos possibly squeeze in as many as 400. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's, if it turns out to be anything like the summit out at ocean shores where they had, you know, 800 plus people show up, you might want to go ahead and get your tickets online now. Um, one of the other things to mention is, you know, we're going to have the vendors and the exhibits, um, uh, part of which you're going to be participating in, aren't you? I am. I am. And you have an announcement, too. You just got a new vendor in, uh, it looks like a couple days ago. 
I was looking at the thread on Facebook and I couldn't find the name of uh, the artist that's going to show up there, but she's responsible for a recreation of some of the elongated skulls. Yes, that's right. Um, Marcia, um, let me see. I got her right here somewhere. Um, Marcia Moore. Marcia yeah. Moore. And amazing renderings too now did she she also worked as a, a forensic artist it looks like because she's working with clay quite a bit yep um mm -hmm. she's uh got some great stuff so she's gonna have a at least one table there so you'll be able to come and, and see her stuff and then uh you know sandy and nelson's gonna be there with um kevin and ashley uh displaying the butt cast that they got this last year that's pretty amazing and then uh, you're going to have the kneecaps. Mm -hmm. So the exhibits are just going to be <laughs> phenomenal. Well, that's the nice thing about, uh, you know, having all of this show and tell is it's no good if it's just sitting, you know, behind a closed wall. So although, you know, all I have right now is the original, I think Sandy has her originals too. It would be nice to have duplicate copies of these so nothing happens to them. So just as a note, if anybody wants to take a look at Sandy's butt print or my kneecaps, um, you can do that at the festival. All we would ask is when you come in and take a look at it, if you can just look at it as a museum piece, it really is a one of a kind. And um, I guess we'll do the touching and you'll do the looking. And um, it just yeah. easier that way because in the case of with these Al Moon prints, these kneecaps that we have, they still have hair attached to them, and the hair itself seems to match the hair that matched the Sasquatch hair. And uh, I imagine Sandy's the same case. So this will be your chance to actually yep. take a look at evidence. And I'm going to come up with Biggie. If you haven't seen Biggie, he's got his own Facebook page. You can just go in there and type in the word Biggie. He'll probably pop right up. And uh, he's an eight-foot-tall rendering of what Ron Moorhead saw up in the high Sierras and he'll be coming with us. I'm going to do a little retooling on him in particular in the leg department so he might be a little bit larger but um, you know when you're in the middle of building something like this you oftentimes have to stand back in order to appreciate what you're working on and uh, the larger the object is the farther you have to stand back and I think I missed <laughs> Mark with uh, his little stubby legs so we're going to work on that and come up there. That, again, is on April 26th through the 28th. Um, also, I'll mention that Strange Brow is putting on their own Bigfoot event. It's going to be on July 12th and 13th. Now, there's a two-day package you can buy that would allow you to find out a secret location where the speakers are going to be, and that's going to be some of your speakers. Ron Moorhead, Joe Hauser is going to be on hand. Uh, even Carrie Campbell, Ron's wife. We're going to have uh, Tom Powell, Kirk Sigurdsson, and myself, and maybe some surprise guests. And the format of this is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do ours in a round table format there on the, uh, the venue floor and immerse the audience in and amongst the speakers. And the reason we're doing it that way is not to kind of lazily say we don't want to do another PowerPoint. It's to do kind of what you're doing too, is increase the conversation and immerse you in with the speakers here, have experiences with them. 
And you know what? Surprise the speakers with your information. Maybe you uh, take the show away suddenly and, and uh, before you know it, you're speaking at a gig next year and telling people about what's going on your property. It's just high time that we include the audience more in with these speakers instead of separate them constantly. So you can look forward to that. Yep. And again, uh, Barb and Gabby, watching <coughs> with Barb and Gabby in particular, go check out her YouTube channel, her Facebook channel, like it, subscribe to it, check it out. Barb, do you have anything in the works down the pike that uh, we need to know about? A book, a documentary, something secretive? <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people have told me I need to write a book, but, you know, I don't know that I have the patience for that. Maybe someday. Um, I think I'm just going to keep documenting experiences as they come my way. Um, our group will be getting together this year for more campouts. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, we have reached the point where we're kind of at capacity now to bring in new members, you know, to be able to have our campouts with, uh, you know, a, a limited number so that, you know, we can, it's still workable. Um, so I don't know that we'll be able to bring in any new people for a while, but, uh, yeah, we're still going to get together and we'll still share everything that's happening with us, you know, as there's no point really in having these experiences as far as I'm concerned, if you, you can't, you know, get the information out there and encourage other people to get out and have their own experiences. Cause mm. well, you know, you can believe all you want, but there's nothing like becoming a knower. So, no. uh, no, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep sharing as it happens. Yeah, no, there's nothing like it. And that really is it. You can't prove any of this. I mean, you can come home with a little bit of a show and tell and, I think they're okay with that. But as far as proof, uh, you really just have to look beyond that and have an experience and just dive into the fact that you're not going to, you know, end up traumatized to your core for the most likely part, unless you <laughs> wander onto, <laughs> you know, some crazy individual. But I'm telling you, people are way scarier than anything that's going on out in the woods with big. That is a fact. Yeah. Generally. But today we've had Barb Shoup. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, love to have you back in the future. We'll be coming out to Greenwater to enjoy some time with you uh, during one of your campouts, but I'll see you next month. That sounds perfect. Thank you again, Barb, for a familiar and fun conversation regarding the subject matter. You can check out Barb, meet her yourself again at the ghostofrubyridge.com. Buy tickets for the Primal People Convention. It's the third, third one, I believe, that they've had this time up in Enumclaw, Washington. It's a three-day event. Ghostofrubyridge.com. Also go, course, go to strangebrow.com. Look at the tickets we got on sales too. We got. Uh, William Becker, the psychic out of Oregon City, teaching a class and the secrets of Sasquatch in July. Also, our East SETI retreat will be online as of April 1st, so you don't want to miss that. That's Labor Day weekend. Remember, you can catch us every second Saturday of the month at the Axe and Fiddle, Cottage Grove, Oregon, 657 East Main Street, 3 to 6 p.m. every second Saturday. Anna's show will release every Bloomin' Monday. So, I better get busy, huh? All right, folks. Thank you again. And, of course, as always, from here to there, 
looking under the ferns, you will see me and I will see you in the trees.